want to ask you this question. Have you, have you ever heard the phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely? Think about it, a 19th century, it was, uh, it was coined by a 19th, 19th century uh, British politician, his name was Lord Acton, and came up with this phrase and said this phrase that I've, I've heard many times uh, throughout my life at, at different points, but the idea of power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I believe if you would look around in our world, we would see how that effect is on humanity and on people. Uh, that you see when someone has power and they rise to power, oftentimes what we see is corruption happens. Their heart deceives them. I, I, I've watched the show and I've watched and, and read some of the books of um, um, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. And then they just recently came back with Amazon and Prime with the Rings of Power. And when you, you can't help but see as, as Tolkien is writing the story of Middle-earth and all the events and all those things, you see the effect that power has on not just humanity, but in all people, but specifically for us today, humanity, and how its effect is on people. We even see it with this nice, <laughs> this uh, Frodo, you know, right, this character, He's, he, seems so, he seems so innocent and nice. And all these things, but what happens, you see, even if you watch the movies, you see his darkness and his appearance over time as the power of that ring and it's, and it's wielding its power on him and thinking that, like, I can have more power with this ring on my hand. Its effect is all over. We look at the world wars and we see what happens when someone has too much power, when they rise to power and how quickly it can corrupt. We look in our current world today and we see whether it's in North Korea or Russia or in China and other countries all over the world, as someone arises to power, how that power corrupts. But I would argue it's not just politicians, it's not just rulers and kings, it happens in corporate America, it happens when someone has a lot of power or a lot of wealth, it happens when in churches, when someone has a big following and a church grows and it gets immense, and what can easily happen is as that church gets larger and larger and as more people are gathering together, that person is getting more power and more, more celebrity status. We see this with celebrities, celebrities, they get to where they seem to be above the law, see it with Celebrities, we see it with athletes, we see it in all of the world. We see that, and I think that's why I like this quote is saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But what about the king of heaven? What about Jesus? Here we looked last week at his authority, his power, that he has all authority under heaven and earth has been, is under his control. That last week we saw he has all authority in his teaching. When he taught, the scribes were blown away by his teaching. And they look at him and they're like, this man has so much. As he teaches, he teaches differently. Not just in skill and, and how he communicated and talked. No, he taught differently. He had an authority about him that was different than the scribes. He spoke, and when he spoke, he came with such strong authority. When he would say, you might have heard it said this way, but I say to you. He comes with authority in his speaking. And then all of a sudden, a demon-possessed demon man stands up and tries to interrupt this moment of worship together in the synagogue. And he declares and he yells out against Jesus and says, Have you come to destroy us? Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are, Holy One of Heaven. 
Here, this, this demon-possessed man is speaking out, and what does Jesus have to do? All he has to do is speak, and what does that demon have to do? Stop speaking. He has authority over that demon's voice, if he's going to have a voice that day or not have a voice that day. He has all authority. He has the authority to cast out a demon and say, demon, you can't stay there anymore. You're coming out. And that demon has to follow his authority. And then we saw his authority over healing here, over sickness. Here he takes uh, Peter's mother-in-law and he takes her by the hand and rises her up and all of a sudden, immediately, her fever has left her. Jesus has all authority. But to our British politician, Lord Acton, (laughs) power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Can it and will it with Jesus. And I believe in our passage this morning, we get a picture of the heart of the king. We've been focusing on the kingship and the kingdom of God through this first chapter of Mark and looking at the king's coming and the king's message. We've looked at the authority of the king last week, and this morning, I want us in our brief time together to look at the heart of the king. So if you have a Bible, a copy of God's word in front of you, I would encourage you to read along with me from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35 says this and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place it's talking about Jesus and there he prayed and Simon as again to remind you Simon Peter so that's Peter and what we've also said about this book you'll see Simon's name mentioned multiple times not Peter Um, and again this book written by John Mark was written from the perspective of Peter and so even here we're getting a story of Peter from Peter And so it continues, and Simon, those who were with him, searched for him. The way that reads in the Greek, they were diligently searching. They're like, it's like a search party. They're pulling together, where is Jesus and where has he gone? And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And here we get in chapter 1 verse 40, this beautiful scene that happens. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, or if you have an NIV, it's indignation, actually. It seems a little contradictory there. We'll talk about that in a second. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself your cleansing that Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You see, the fame of Jesus is spreading, spreading really like wildfire as he's healing people and people are coming in droves. We saw in just this one section of Scripture, we basically get a picture. I've seen this titled in different sermons that people have taught and preached on through this passage of a day in the life of Jesus. Really, you do get a picture. You want to see a day in the life of Jesus, you just read chapter chapter 1, really starting from Uh, the Sabbath day, as he goes into the next day. We get to see a whole day in the life of Jesus. And it's curious, right? It's like, what would Jesus do? 
But if you notice in these first verses, and I want you to see this even as we go through this and say, like, what is the heart of Jesus? What is the heart of this king? You know, this, this power, can it get to his head? Can it, can it control him to a, a point where he can kind of go rogue while he's on earth? We read in Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16 that, that Jesus, um, here he is, and he has um, all these temptations come his way, but yet it tells us he was without sin. So what does sin and temptations affect this idea of power and authority? How is it going to affect him? And I want you to see exactly the heart of Jesus in these verses. Look at the first, this is our our first really point. I want you to notice this. What we see with Jesus is this. He prioritizes time alone with the Father. He prioritizes, he has right priorities. His heart is in the right place. His priorities are always pure. His motives are always pure pure. Look at again at what happens. I mean, this is the beginning of a day, but let me remind you, look back at verse 30, 33 and 34, or verse 32 of chapter 1. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought him all, were who, all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here he is. He is just on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the evening has come, and then all of a sudden, the droves of people, it's literally described as the, the whole city was gathering at, together at the door of the house where he is with um, Peter and his mother-in-law and, the, and these four disciples with him. And here, just one after the other, another person with a sickness, another person with, a, with a, a limp or someone else who was blind or someone else who was deaf. And here he comes and he receives, he brings uh, uh, eyesight to the blind. He, br- he brings sound and hearing to the deaf. And here he brings, takes away sickness and he's casting out demons. He's doing this all night. I mean, it doesn't tell us how long, but they just come and they come. Can you imagine the line that's coming to him all night long? Now, if you're like me and you've done a lot in a day, there's nothing better than a, a, a good sleep in, right? Like, nothing better than Saturday morning, except when you have babies, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, the thought of it sounds great. And then the baby or the child or the toddler comes jumping on your bed, waking you up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. And you're like, are you serious? It's Saturday. It's always Saturday, too. Have you ever noticed? It's always Saturday. They could sleep in during Monday through, thir- through Friday. But Saturday morning, when you're trying to sleep in, they come. But here, where, what is Jesus doing? After this f- day full of ministry, he's exhausted, I'm sure. He's a, remember, he's fully man, and he's tired. He needs sleep as well. But what, where do we find Jesus? What is his priority? Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And what's he doing? What does Jesus do in the morning. There he prayed. Now, when you you think about this, when you think about the priority of Jesus, here's Jesus. He is God in human form. He is the God-man. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And here he is desiring to have intimacy and closeness of relationship with the Father. And so, even as tired as he is, even as exhausted as he may be from the day before, first things first for him. It is a priority to spend time with the Father. Now here's, here's my question. This is the question I had to ask myself multiple times this week. 
if this is if Jesus needs time with the Father on a daily basis, how much more do I need to prioritize time with the Lord? Because here's the reality is Time with God is more important than the busyness of our schedules. I mean, listen, we all can say, man, we're busy, right? Like that is like the, 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 if you ask someone, how are you doing, right? How's your week? How's it been? Oh, it's been pretty good, a little busy. You know, we we just kind of sneak that phrase in in a lot of our conversations. We're really busy and we are. We can make ourselves busy. We can make ourselves busy with stuff that's a waste of time. We can make ourselves busy with life and work and children and raising a family. All these things can make us busy, and we can have plenty of excuses. But Jesus prioritized time with the Father. Something that we see from the the disciples, they don't quite get yet. They're kind of new to this following Jesus thing. They just started. They've watched Him heal all day long, and they're like, let's continue this. Day two, let's go. And so what do we do? We see in verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. They're like, like, everyone's looking for you. They're like, look, look, there's more people. There's more ministry. There's more healing that needs to happen. Let's go back. Let's get more people. This This is great. Like, they're amazed at what he's doing. They're watching him. They're seeing all these great things that he's doing. And they're like, guess what? There's more people. They're already knocking on the door this morning. And we're like, I don't know where he is. I don't have the power. (laughs) They're like, I can't heal you. We need to find Jesus. And so they sent out a search party. And what would Jesus, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do here? What would he do? Would he be like, all right, that's good. Well, give me a second, 10 more minutes or whatever, or five more minutes or 30 more minutes or whatever it is. What would he respond? Here's more people. How does he respond? Notice how he responds in verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. Wait, I'm sure Peter is just confused. He's like, here we have, we have all these people. We're gaining fame. You notice this, right? You've healed people and the word is spreading all over the area. Let's continue this. This is great. We're like, we're going to have a a good following. We're going to get, the kingdom is going to come. And what he's thinking, probably just like the disciples were, is that, listen, we're going to be able to overthrow, before you know it, we're going to have a huge following. And maybe we're going to be able to overthrow. You're the Messiah. You're going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to be free again. We're going to establish the kingdom. All the Old Testament promises are going to come true in you. And they're like, yes, let's keep healing. Let's keep doing this. And Jesus is like, no. Because he has his priorities always right. His priorities are always true and always perfect. And here he is prioritizing time alone with the Father. Listen, this is one of our core values at Redeemer Community Church, is we want to be prayerfully dependent people, where we depend on the Lord, where we go to the Lord and ask God's blessing, or we say, God, will you guide us in the decision-making process? God, give us wisdom in how we're to, to go about our life and our ministry, but even personally. God, help me. I want to be prayerfully dependent. Why would I be prayerfully dependent? Why do I need to pray? You know, I'm an American. I, 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 I'm free to do what I want. I have all of life in front of me. I have so many choices and things that I can do in my day. Why would I need to be prayerfully dependent? Because in Jesus' own words, he said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to hear that. I personally need to hear that because we do things apart from the Lord all the time. 
We make decisions without ever even thinking to ask him about it. Or we only go to him with the really big ones. When it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm not really sure. And so you're like, I don't know. So I'll just go to God. I'll ask him. We, I want you to see this. We need him. If you think Jesus needs to go to the Father on a daily basis, get alone with the Father, spend time in prayer, you know, the difference in his prayer is he's never confessing. We need to confess. I open the service today with confessional prayer. God, purify our hearts. Help our worship to be pure. He doesn't need to go into a confession. I would love to hear. We get to hear a few peeks into his prayer life. But to hear him pray. I love what Jesus would actually tell Simon Peter he said, Simon, Simon, Satan, this is in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Just like he's asking, I, he's asking to sift you as wheat. He wants, to, he wants to destroy you. He wants to wreck your life. And what does Jesus say? He says, Peter, but I have prayed for you. So Jesus, here he is in a desolate place. He's praying. What is he praying for? He's praying for God's will to be done in and through him as I minister I want to speak, and I want to see lives changed. But what is he praying? He's praying for these disciples, these four men who are beginning to follow him on this journey. And he's praying for Simon, and he's praying for Andrew. He's praying for John as we ministry. Maybe he's asking the Father, Father, open their eyes. Help them to see who I really am. Help them to see. Who knows? We don't know exactly what he's praying. He doesn't tell us what he prays in this moment. But we know he prays for people. We know he's interceding. If you're a follower of his, he's interceding with the Father on your behalf. The wrath of God doesn't come on you if you have put your faith in Jesus because Jesus is standing in the way, pleading. He's, he's pointing to what he has done to the Father. I have absorbed your wrath so that he didn't have to or she didn't have to absorb your wrath because I have, ta- I have taken their place. He's interceding for you. You see, this is why we need him. We go to him in prayer. If Jesus needed to do it, how much more? Do we need to go to the Lord in prayer? How much more do we need to spend time in His Word to understand His will for our lives, His guide, His guide for us to know more about this God that we worship and serve? We should be prioritizing our time with Him in His Word. I say that, I don't even want to say it from a hypocritical way, but I know there's times where in my life is like the priority of prayer or priority of time in the Word can be lacking Minimal, and it maybe even at best, it doesn't non-existent. But here's Jesus prioritizing time with the Father. But the priority really doesn't stop there because notice what he says in his response as they come. Notice what he says. He says, and he said, verse 38, and he said to them, Let let us go on to the next towns that I may what? Preach there also. For that, no, listen, hear this. You want to know, like, circle these kind of things in scripture. Why did Jesus come? That, that is why I came. So we probably should pay attention to why he came. Why he came. He says exactly why he came. That I may preach there also. See this. Jesus' heart, he, he longs for, and this is our second point if you're taking notes. He longs for more and more people to hear the gospel because this is why he came. He came to proclaim the good news. This is what we see at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. His call is to follow him, to repent of your sins, and follow him and trust and believe in the good news. And he himself is the good news. He comes as the good news. And he comes, 
And his desire is for more and more people to hear and experience and believe in this good news, this gospel. And Jesus knows our hearts. I want you to see this. People could be drawn and come to God just like we do today. Come to Him for the things that He can bring us. Come for the things that He can provide for us. And here the people are coming. They're not necessarily, not many, many, many of them were not coming for salvation and belief in the gospel. They were coming for healing. They were coming for His ministry. And the disciples are like, Jesus, let's go back. There's more people. Let's continue this. Let's continue to heal people. Let's continue to watch this. But Jesus said, no, no, no. That's not my primary mission. My primary mission is to preach. He teaches the gospel. He heals sickness. And all of these things were confirming His Messiahship and His message. Healing was not primary. Casting out demons was not primary. Why did He come? He came to preach. This is why I think like John Stott said, Christianity is in its very essence a religion of the Word of God. A church that doesn't preach God's Word really shouldn't be a church because a church is formed around the authority of Scripture. Here, Jesus' teaching ministry is way more prevalent than His than his healing ministry. But there's plenty of ministries. I won't even name names, but you could, you could look out on America and the prosperity gospel all over the U.S. and all over. It's a lot in Africa. It's in India. It's all over the globe where there's a prosperity gospel, a belief that God has come just to heal and to bring, and He's to make your life better and to give you prosperity. And there's plenty of people who have gained platforms on healing ministries, and their focus is only on healing. You see them, they're knocking over people. You've seen those, right? Those healing services and all those things. Jesus' ministry was primarily teaching and preaching the good news. It was not healing. Yes, He comes because His heart is full of compassion. He's good, He's kind, He's gracious. He sees brokenness, and He wants to mend that brokenness, the physical brokenness of the world. But all of those things were secondary to the gospel and its teaching. I love what Martin Luther said. Luther also says, let us consider it certain and conclusively established that the soul can do without all things except the Word of God. And that where this is not there is no help for the soul in anything else, whatever. We need the gospel. You see, the gospel is the revelation of God revealing Himself to us The Scriptures are God revealing Himself to us. It's not just a a bunch of rules and regulations. It is all a redemptive story showing us God's redeeming people from sinful humanity, from God's creation, and saying, I love you, I've created you, made you in my own image, and yet here's the image of man marred by sin and the choices of mankind. And here, the story of Scripture is God redeeming and making all things new. He's coming and He has a preparing a story and a plan for salvation and for hope. And God's desire is for more and more people to hear the gospel. Listen, as a church, we want that in this community. We want more and more people to hear the gospel. You say, well, we're in the South, we're in Georgia. Listen, there is plenty of people. I I meet them all the time. I talk to people. When you meet people at at coffee shops or when you just talk to your neighbors and talk to different people, if you get out a little bit and talk, you quickly realize people don't know much. 
I've, I've heard Amanda playing um, uh, TikTok or something, and it's a guy asking people questions about, like, just like I'll give you $100 if you can quote me one Bible verse. And it's like all these people who know no verses. And you're like, well, this is in America. Be, they have access. We have, it's a digital age. We have access to Scripture. We think, no, no, more and more people here. But here's the reality. is not just here in America. It is all over the world. And there are at least 3 billion people who've never even heard the gospel in their own language. Take that and think about it for a second. 3 billion. And here's God's heart. God's heart is for people to hear the gospel. He's like, we're not staying here. Peter, Andrew, James, John, we're moving on. We have declared, I have preached the gospel, I've called people to repent and believe in me, we've healed people, we've confirmed the message, we're moving on, because more and more people need to hear it. And that is, should be our heart as a church, we should long to see more and more people raised up right from this room. Who knows, who of you? Maybe God would raise up and say, you know what, we need another church in such and such area or such and such town, or we need another church in some foreign country that has never heard the gospel. Our heart's desire is to align with Christ's desire. And His desire and His heart is for more and more people to hear the gospel. And Jesus came to preach this good news of the kingdom. He came to bridge the gap between man and God. And He came to preach. He knows the hearts of people. And this leads me to my third and really our final point this morning. And it's the story of this healing of a leper. Don't let the third point fool you that it's almost over (laughs) quite yet. We're almost there. The third's the last, and it's the longest probably. Look at verse 40. Or verse 39, he went throughout Galilee. Notice him, just he continues going. What is he doing? Preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He is going directly against the forces of evil. He's proclaiming the good news, casting out demons, because the demons want nothing more than that, that gospel to be squelched. And here Jesus comes, and this, pick up this story. Notice this story. Such an amazing story that I think there's a lot we can learn from. It says this, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. In the ESV, the English Standard Version that I'm reading from and preach from, it says, Moved with pity, compassion. You also see in the NIV this indignant, phrase, a little different translation of the the word in the Greek there. There's some debate over the manuscripts, and some manuscripts had more of indignant, others, many have moved with compassion or um, deep feeling inside that we see throughout Scripture. It's like a gut is actually the description of the Greek word. Uh, It's this idea of the gut. It's something that comes deep within the recesses of a person, this feeling overwhelming. And deep with, filled with, and moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You see, I don't think we can connect too much with this story because I don't think any of you have ever had leprosy. But a, a leprosy, or a, the phrase here used for a person, was a leper. And a leper was someone who had a skin disease, and this skin disease 
um, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, was also a picture of sin, leprosy. And the leprosy was a picture of sin as well, but leprosy was a disorder and it was a disease that would attack the, the nervous system of your body to where you couldn't feel, over time you couldn't feel. So for instance, if you put your hand on a fire, or you put your hand on a, a pot that was really hot and you had leprosy, you may not feel anything, and so you could burn your hand without even really knowing it. And slowly what would happen is your body would begin and your skin would begin to deteriorate, and it would, it would become nasty, and you'd have all these sores all over your body from all the different things, that, the little nicks and things that you've done, and as this destroys your body, and here is what would happen. This was the Old Testament law. These persons were considered unclean ceremonially unclean. They weren't, and, and they would be treated as outsiders. You would not be, like, if you were diagnosed, if you were given this diagnosis of leprosy, you were an outcast. You weren't allowed to live with your family anymore. You were removed from your family. You lived among other people with this same disease that you had. And so here's what would happen. If you were ever going to walk into the town, you had to say these words. Think about the shame. Think about the pain and the, 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 the sense of aloneness. And you have to walk through a town saying, uncle-. you have to declare yourself to the people, unclean, unclean. You're walking through town saying, watch out, I'm walking through, you, don't, you can't be near me. It was like 50 cubits. If it was downwind, you had to be away from people. 50 cubits is about the arm, like from the elbow to the tip of your hand. If you're me, that's not very long. If you're Austin, it's a lot longer. <laughs> Um, but this distance, you think about it, you're secluded, you're separated from all of your loved ones, and you've never felt the touch of someone. You've, that's long been forgotten, the touch of someone's hand holding yours or the, the embrace of a loved one. You are left alone and separated. Here's this man, this leper, and here's what he does. He starts coming, and maybe he starts proclaiming, unclean, unclean, and what are the people doing? They're like, you know, you know what people would do in a crowd like that. Oh, man, did you see that person? And they're all backing away, trying to distance themselves from this person. And here comes this leprous man, and he's walking to Jesus because he's been hearing these stories probably about Jesus, and he's been healing people. And I want you to see what he says. He says, if you will. He doesn't ask, can you? Do you have the ability to heal me? He has confidence that Jesus has the ability to heal him. He's asking if he will do it. And he asks him this question. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And I want you to see this. Here he's spoken. He's casting out demons just with the word. He can speak. And here he could speak as well. And sometimes he would speak. Sometimes he could tell a person to stand up and rise. and Take up your bed and walk. Doesn't need to touch you. You can just say it with a word. But here, and I want you to see this is, is the heart of Jesus, and it's already on the screen there for you. Is Jesus' compassion to meet our, and I want, I want, it's an important word there, our deepest need. He meets needs, but He's the only one, and I want you to see this and hear this. He's the only one who can meet your deepest need. Here's this man, he's unclean hasn't experienced the love of another, is actually treated in the opposite way. It's disgusting, useless, worthless to society. Stay away from us. Not allowed to worship in the temple anymore. You're not allowed to come. 
And here Jesus moved with pity. Or even if you took the word indignant, it's the idea of, of even like you could see how Jesus could be even angry, but in the right way. We see these emotions with Jesus as he looks on at this, uh, this man. And, he's, and even just the, the anger, maybe the whole situation, uh, we don't really understand this. Uh, fully, but the idea of him being even upset at the, the thought of here's this person, and he's being treated as he's unclean, and he's outside, an outsider, and looking at the situation, is just moved in his heart and in his soul, and here he goes, and he moves with pity. He stretches out his hand, and what does he do? He touches him. Can you imagine the crowd again? The crowd watches him touch him. Oh man, Jesus has now become ceremonially unclean himself. He touched an unclean leper with his hand. What is Jesus going to do? But I want you to see this. Jesus' compassion is to meet our deepest need. And what is he doing in this story? What is he doing by healing this man of leprosy? I want you to see this. We see this throughout Scripture, the idea of substitutionary atonement. And this picture of leprosy, and here is he is, he takes on this man's uncleanness on his own self. He touches the man, meeting his deeper need, that he needs rescue, he needs restoration, he needs healing. I want to ask you, how many times have you felt in your life unclean? Maybe you feel the shame of the choices and decisions you've made in your life and you, you think, man, there's things that have been done to me or I've done that I feel unworthy or I feel worthless or I feel shame and guilt and you have this feeling of I just can't ever be clean enough. My dad, I was telling someone earlier, my dad was a mechanic. My dad's hands, man, they were, they were some dirty hands. Uh, he had these big, huge, he's, he's still alive, but... It, um, he had some just big hands. His, his father as well had these big hands. And he, had, when he grabbed your hand, it was like, okay, don't squeeze my hand too hard. <laughs> With a good, firm handshake. But my dad, when he would come home, he would have, he would have you look at his, his hands, he'd always keep his fingernails really, really short because with grease and all the things of touching the, the engine and all those things, his hands get real dirty. And there's this, there's this stuff that a lot of mechanics use, like fast orange. I think, is that the right term? I think it's what it's called, fast orange. Do you remember? Um, and so he takes this stuff and he put it in his hands and he'd just wipe his hands and wipe his hands. It's kind of like this like grit to it, helping you get all this grease off of his hands. And I remember watching him. He'd be watching, 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 trying to get it clean and to be like, all right, it looks pretty good. And then clean some more, clean some more, clean some more, trying to get his hands really clean. But my dad's hands would never be fully clean. They just, they just weren't, like until the skin fully, <laughs> until he got out of it completely, finally it was hands get more back to normal. It didn't have that like grayish, blackish hue on his hands from all the, time, all the days, all day long, working under a car or under a truck. And he'd try to clean it. And I think so many of us, we try to clean up ourselves. We've spent our, oh, maybe a whole life of trying to be clean. And we do it in all kinds of ways. A lot of people do it through religion. Let me do a bunch of religious activities. Maybe even try to read a Bible, go to church, attend different things, or go to a, an Easter service, or come to a Christmas Eve service a couple times a year, or uh, maybe pray some, or go serve in the community and do some good things. We can do those things. Or maybe we do it by trying to be really successful in a career. I'm going to put myself to this, to be to bring impact and to, 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 look, I'm not doing that bad of a thing. I'm doing all these things. And we're trying to make ourselves clean and to cleanse ourselves. But here's the thing. Jesus is the only one who can make us unclean. 
And it comes through, here's only, he's the only one. He's the only one capable of doing this. And the disciples don't understand this yet. They're saying, look, keep healing people. Keep bringing restoration to sickness. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. These are pictures. These are all showing something about myself that I have the authority, not just to teach and bring you authority in my teaching. I don't have just the authority to cast out demons. I don't have just the authority over sickness. I have the authority to meet your deepest need. I can make you clean. We're going to see later how he can, has the power to forgive. Only God can forgive us of our sin. And the disciples don't realize quite yet what their ultimate need is. And the people, the disciples thought, hey, there are plenty of people with sickness. You have the power. Just keep healing it. There is no one left. But they were missing why he came. He came as he's preaching the good news. But he's coming to bring healing to people's souls. He's bringing healing to their heart. And here he's moved with pity. And I really believe this is a picture of the healing that he brings, that he comes and and, and, is... 2 Corinthians um, 5.21 tells us, He who knew no sin became sin. He became unclean. Hear that. He's the only one who can make you clean. And here's how he does it. He does it by taking on your uncleanliness. He takes your unrighteousness and takes it all the way to a cross. And on that cross, he pays the price for all of those who put their faith in him. He pays the price for all of it, completely, complete. You can be, and He can bring complete cleansing. And it comes through only Him. And here it tells us, He was moved with pity, and He stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I will. He's the only one who can, and here's the great truth of these verses, He will. He can and He will. And here's what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that, listen, if you will just confess your sins, if you will put your faith in Christ, He will lavish you with His grace. He will overwhelm you with His grace. It's a grace that's greater than all of your sin. He can make you clean. And here, even Jesus, even in observing the Old Testament law, because even though yet He had healed this man, it tells us, and immediately the leprosy left Him, and He was made clean clean. And verse 43 says, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, here's what he told him to do. He said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but here's what I want you to do. Go show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself, your, your, sorry, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So basically he was now to go, and this was the ceremony of this, he would, to be pronounced clean ceremonially, you would go to the priest and the priest would then authenticate it, basically. And so Jesus is telling him to follow that. Go to the priest and, and, and show yourself to him, and he will, he will, he will kind of confirm this for you, this status. You'll no longer be unclean. You'll no longer be dis- discarded and considered a waste to society. No, now you will be a full, have full rights as a citizen in the land. You see, I believe is. Um, one commentator says, the fact that Jesus sent him to the priest shows not only Jesus' high regard for the law of Moses, but also his great compassion for the man. The man would need the consecration of the priest to be in re- reinstated into society. Jesus did not want him to remain in social isolation. 
Jesus wanted him to be, to enjoy the rights as a citizen, to be set free. You might be asking yourself these questions like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure Jesus can really do all these things? Does he really care about me? Does he care about my deepest need? And if he cares about it, can he do anything about it? Does he have the power? Does he have the authority? Does he have the, the backing, as it were, to accomplish these things? The scriptures tell us an absolute answer to this. Yes, he can. And this is what Mark's doing as he opens this, really this short book. As he's open it to us, he's showing us, here's who Jesus is. He is more than a man. He's more than a carpenter. He is the Son of God. And he is, as John the Baptist would proclaim, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He removes the sin debt. He touches us with the healing touch of himself. And he takes on himself the sin of all mankind and dies the death, as I've been saying often. You let me say this. As long as you come on Sundays, as long as you hear me, he lives the life that we were incapable of living and should have lived, and he died the death that we deserved. It is, the gospel is Jesus in my place. And he came to bring healing to your deepest need. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. We're going to sing a Another song here in a second. But I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. Maybe you've been trying to clean yourself up. You're like, maybe God will now accept me because I attend a, a worship gathering. Or maybe God will accept me by doing some good things, kind of changing and reorienting my life. I want to tell you that the answer from Scripture and the answer that we're seeing in this, even this, this first chapter of Mark, is God Himself, Jesus Christ, is the only one capable of meeting your deepest need. And that deepest need is relationship with God. The Bible tells us that for all have sinned, they've fallen short of the glory of God. All are separated and cannot bridge that gap. That's why Jesus came. I think the picture that we see, even in the incarnation, in the story of Christmas, we get so focused on the manger and forget the importance of why he came. It's not just a baby in a manger. It's a Jesus Christ, a man who comes and lives the life that we should have lived and died the death. It's the cross. And here, Jesus, at this time of year, to think that not, it's not about trying to earn his love. And, and the picture I've always seen it on is like, because is, so many people I've heard, I remember Oprah Winfrey saying this years ago, saying how, you know, all religions are just, like, they're all basically the same. And just, you're all kind of working your way and your different paths to get to the top of the mountain where God is or to get to heaven where God is. And so your path may lead you this way and my path may lead me this way. And eventually we'll all kind of get there at the same time or at some time, but we'll all get to the same place and we'll go up the mountain. And I would argue that most people kind of would agree with that statement. If you talk to a lot of people in different religions, they're like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that kind of makes sense. Like, we're all going. But here's the picture of the gospel, the Christmas season, isn't about trying to get to God. Can I tell you that in Christianity and in Scripture, we see God 
comes down off the mountain. He comes down to people. And He comes to rescue us. And He comes to meet our deepest need. And I want to implore you this morning to put your hope in Christ alone. His call was to repent and believe the gospel. And if you, listen, if you have never, ever put your trust in Jesus alone, if you've been trying to clean yourself up, you'll never be able to make yourself clean. Only one can make you clean, and it is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who can take away your sin and the sin of the whole world. 